You're listening to the audio from Tuesday Night Class at CA Church, located in Coquitlam, British Columbia. We hope this teaching helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So, I mean, those are some simple questions that you might want to have at the end of your study. But for me, when I'm studying a text like this, I might spend a couple hours looking at the text. I would take colored pens, and I might, like, underline repeated words, circle things, diagram things, how they fit together. If you look at that text carefully, you'll see that there's things from Nathan's first speech that come up in God's speech. You'll see those kind of things. And if you got to the story of how um, David's baby died, you'll see what I mean about dialogue and action. So the action is really fast. You know, seven days, the baby's sick, and then the dialogue, he dies, and the dialogue really slows things down and looks at David's response to the baby's death. So you can see that in there. So just a basic question. So how does this story fit into the larger story of the Old Testament and of David? You want to answer that? Hazard a guess? I thought that he doesn't, he sins, but Nathan tells him he's not going to die. Yeah. And that um, Jesus came from David's line. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, so there's some kind of connection there for the ultimate act four when he comes. In the, if you can see in the act portion, how Israel fails to be the people of God. David, this, who's the greatest leader Israel has ever had, fails himself. And this is sort of the beginning of the end for David. If you keep reading, it's called the succession narratives. There's just fighting in David's family, people killing each other, you know, so many of his sons die because of David's sin. So this is sort of the failure of the monarchy to do what God was calling Israel to do. And, um, so God is very obvious in this story. If you read the chapter before, God's name is not mentioned at all, which is interesting, except for the very last line. So God is very present in this story. Why do you think God is so present in this story? Yeah, that's that's true. That's something you can take away with it. Yeah. David was in direct disobedience to God. He was, yeah. Okay, so David was in direct disobedience from God. Now I can't memorize all the comments, so I'll try and repeat them. Again, my question is, why do you think God is so present in this, in this part of the narrative, in this part of the story of David? Why is God's name used? Why is there direct speech from God? Does anyone want to hazard a guess on that? Yeah, because God's judgment is really coming out in the story. So you can read a lot of the stories of David, and God's name won't be mentioned very often. But this one, it's like almost like God is there, right? God is there, and God cares about what David did. And that's really important to him, because he was the king to bring righteousness and justice, and he murdered and took advantage of vulnerable people he was supposed to be leading. So, And then finally... Do you have any sense of what the narrator thinks of David from this text? What do you think the narrator of the story thinks about David? I think he's very selfish. Yeah, he, yeah, that it's showing David's selfishness. 
uh, especially when this, the story of the lamb is revealed, and also his blindness to his selfishness. <laughs> he has no clue that's about him. Yeah, and and in the end, it does also get, show David's uh, heart for repentance. Right, who he is comes out in that that tender side of David. Okay, well that this this uh, narr- the stories about David are great stories to read and to learn about how to study Hebrew story because they're such interesting stories as well. So I'd recommend you just keep reading in Second Samuel. I just finished reading it again. It's a great book. Okay, let's move on to an oh hold on, how did I get back there? Okay, let's move on to the Psalms, and the Psalms are again the hundred and fifty chapters of the book of Psalms, but there are psalms found throughout the Old Testament. There are songs to God throughout the Old Testament, but we'll talk mostly about the psalms, but they're, they're throughout. And the purpose of the psalms is to help us to express ourselves to God and to consider God's ways. So they're, they're meditative, they're reflective. And the psalms are prayers. They're like someone actually praying to God. They're hymns, they're songs about God. They're poetry, so they're not mostly written in narrative, they're mostly written in the poetic form. And they're words to God, they're also words about God. But these are, this is what this, so I don't know how that happened, it got mixed up anyways, over here. Okay, the Psalms are not, and don't look at them this way, they're not moral or doctrinal teaching. So I don't go to Psalms to find out what is right, how should I live, who is Jesus? Those are things I'm going to find in the New Testament. But the Psalms are going to help me to express my way, express myself to God and to consider His ways. The Psalms are not commands. Um, again, I had a friend, he was very literal in his biblical t- interpretation, and I can't remember what Psalm it is, but one of the Psalms says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. So he took that as a command, and every day he prayed for the peace of Jerusalem, which is a good thing to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, but that's not how you read the Psalms. And then finally, they're, primary, they're not primarily stories about God or his people. So they're not narrative, they're actually poetry. So remember that. And when you think of poetry in English, you actually would read poetry very differently than you'd read a story, right? You would look at it differently, you'd interpret it differently, and so remember that when you're looking at the Psalms. So first of all, for, for the poetry, the vocabulary, vocabulary, vocabulary is purposefully metaphorical. So what's a metaphor? Can anyone give me the definition of a metaphor? Any of you English lovers out there? Yeah? Yeah, something that stands for something else. It's, it uses heightened or elevated language. It's not, it's not direct and literal language. It's trying to expand your mind to think about the world in different ways. That's the language of the Psalms. And the language of the Psalms uses a kind of rhyming that is very different than English rhyming. And it's, it's called parallelism. And so in English, when we rhyme, we say frog and dog. It sounds the same, it rhymes. Hebrew narrative uses sounding the same things. But Hebrew poetry uses a parallelism that rhymes ideas and not words. Okay, so... Um, let me see. So I've got, a, I've got a psalm there that explains that. Shout joyfully to the Lord all the earth. That's A. And what is more, break forth and sing for joy and sing his praises. D. 
do you see how those two rhyme with each other? The first line, unfortunately, yeah, I didn't put it. So the first line is, Shout joyfully to the Lord all the earth. And the second one is, Break forth and sing for joy and sing praises. So it's A and what is more, B. Not only shout joyfully, but also break forth in singing. So what used to happen, I think it was about the 1700s that someone un finally ex understood biblical parallelism. Before that, people would look at the Psalms and go, how does that first verse be different than the second? And what is it telling us to do that's different? Just remember, it's rhyming ideas. Now, sometimes it's an opposite idea. So the first line will be, you know, God is great and, you know, the rulers of the earth are evil. That's a, a, an opposite kind of rhyme. And sometimes it's, um, whereas I'll talk a little bit more about parallelism a little bit later when I get to the Proverbs. So let's leave it at that. So when you're looking at the Psalms, remember the kind of rhyming is a rhyming of ideas. It's a parallelism. A, that's the first line, and what is more, B. And so as you look through the Psalms, not every Psalm will have that, but most Psalms will use parallelism to express their ideas. Okay, so there's different types of songs. One of the types of song is a lament song. Does anyone know what, can anyone describe what a lament song is? Sorrow, yeah, it's expressing sorrow. Where is God? What is happening in my life? My life is very difficult. And I've given you an example in brackets. It didn't come out on this version, so I'm going to tell you. Psalm 142 is a lament psalm. So if you read that psalm, you'll have an understanding of what a lament psalm is. Now, lament psalms are really great for people who are going through hard times because they actually help people to express their sorrow to God. So I would recommend if someone's grieving, I'd say here's some lament psalms. I encourage you to read them and use those ideas and expressions to, to express your sorrow to God. Some of the lament psalms get a little mad at God even. Like they're like, God, where are you? You didn't you failed to meet your promises. And I think again that helps us to express what's in our hearts. Sometimes we are mad at God. And those psalms give us permission to tell God and to talk to God about that. Now the lament psalms will always end by saying, But God, you are great and good. And I think that's a place we need to end. But they are there is a process for us as we deal with sadness and grief and loss and disappointment in our lives. Another kind of psalm is the thanksgiving psalm. And an example of a thanksgiving psalm is Psalm 32. Again, thanksgiving psalms help us to express our gratefulness to God. And so they're a great psalm to read you know, in church or to read when you really appreciate what God is doing and how God is doing in your life. There's hymns of praise. And an example of a hymn of praise is 130, Psalm 113. So the hymns of praise are like actual songs that probably the Hebrews or the Jews would sing together and they'd have, uh, they'd have music to them and they'd sing them in the assembly like we would have our hymn, I don't know if you guys still have a hymnal, but that kind of idea where you open your hymnal and there's the music and you all sing together. There's salvation history psalms and one that I'm going to give you is Psalm 105. And the salvation history psalms are psalms that recount what God has done for Israel. 
So if you ever want a summary of the story of Act Number Three, <laughs> read a, his, a Salvation History Psalm because it explains what God did for Israel, what God is doing in did in Israel, and often those will have refrains with them. Thanks to you know, say God, you know, took the horse and rider and threw them to the sea. Thanks be to God, and then you move on. So those Salvation History Psalms are great summaries of the work of God in Act Three in Israel. There's psalms of celebration and affirmation. Uh, give an example is Psalm 93, would be that. Wisdom psalms. And I'm going to talk a little bit of how to read wisdom literature later, but wisdom psalms are a little different than other psalms, and they talk more about right living, how to live rightly before the Lord. And then songs of trust. And that I'm going to, Oh, wisdom psalm, Psalm 1 is a wisdom psalm. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the seat of sinners, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And then songs of trust, again, express our trust for God. And song, Psalm 4 is an example of that. Now, if you look at lists of psalms, there's many like subcategories under these, but these are the main categories of different kinds of psalms. So where does the 23rd fit in, most used? I think that's a thanks. Thanksgiving, it probably would be a Thanksgiving song. Um, maybe not. What do you think, Dave? Twenty-three. Well, it's a it's a celebration and affirmation. Yes, maybe celebration and affirmation. But if you go online again, you can see lists of songs, and some of the categories are very you know picky. A salvation history psalm, you're going to be able to see that it's very obvious. Or a wisdom psalm is very obvious, but the difference between it. Thanksgiving psalm and a celebration song, those are not that clear. Okay, so I'm going to give you a chance again to practice by looking at Psalm 24. Good thing I didn't put Psalm 23 up because then you already know the answer. So <laughs> what type of psalm do you think Psalm 24 is? Identify the parallel phrases. So it's on the back, so I want you to, to look at the different parallels. The, so remember, A and what more is B? Where does that psalm rhyme in its ideas? And how might be this psalm be used in the life of a community of faith or an individual? So I'm going to give you five minutes to do that. It, that's probably better to do in pairs if you can. So turn to the person beside you and try and answer those questions. Thanks for participating in this class. If you've been engaging in classes online, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca to find out more about getting involved in the life and mission of CA Church.